Sony. Well, hello, Canada. It's Tony here in Saskatoon. And Lewis out here in BC. And we uh, just so for full disclosure for our audience, we are trying out a brand new podcast platform for you this evening. So hopefully, A, the show records and B, it gets out to you. <laughs> yeah, I hope so, because uh, I am sitting in the middle of a snowstorm and I hope it wasn't for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the weather's going down to like minus 30 here in Saskatchewan tonight. So it's... Uh, Ouch. The Canadian winter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not that cold here. It's, it's zero degrees, but it's been uh, snowing hard all day long and it's going to snow all night and tomorrow's supposed to be five above and rain. So wonderful. Yeah. So it's going to be very slippery in the Okanagan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The roads were terrible today. Um, But uh, let's, uh, let's just jump right in. We've, uh, yeah, we've got, we've got a few things to talk about. Uh, we've got kind of a, a quick year in review. Plus, uh, we want to talk about some stuff that has happened in just the first uh, six days of 2020. So, um, absolutely, yeah. But I'd like to touch on, uh, well, some of the biggest stories of, of 2019 and starting off early in the year, SNC Lavalin, the, uh, big affair we had an election in october and followed by a resignation of andrew Shear shortly after the election and the election brought about the wexit movement and we ended the year as it began with justin trudeau on vacation yeah and um there's even photos that have uh, surfaced of him on vacation uh not looking totally prime ministerial um very much like you know, the <laughs> yeah kind of appears to be uh on the sauce <laughs> and yeah. uh totally unshaven and uh but didn't didn't seem to be any rcmp secret uh like secret service type guys hanging around though um but he did go surfing with uh with uh oh geez the name just slipped my mind but he's a, a prime minister of another uh, south american country and he just went he went surfing with him so uh oh. good for our prime minister um <laughs> you know, have fun uh yeah. while rest, well, i mean while while kind of the crap is hitting the fan everywhere and we aren't hearing a word out of him so exactly wonderful all right so well let's jump in um We've got the vacationing prime minister, and it was February of uh, 2019 that the SNC-Lavalin story broke. And just as a quick reminder, because I'm sure everybody in Canada knows the story behind this already, SNC-Lavalin was the engineering slash construction company who had snuck in or had the government sneak into an omnibus bill, a piece of legislation allowing for what's called the Deferred Prosecution Agreement, and which would allow the company to, in this particular case, skirt some bribery charges for overseas work that it was doing. And so once the legislation was passed, then SNC-Lavalin said, well, hey, since you've got this legislation, why don't you make us your guinea pig and try it on us? And that brought about the 
well, I can't say demise of Jody Wilson-Raybould, but it certainly brought about quite a quite an affair, didn't it? It did. And uh, I do remember at the time, we predicted that this was going to be the downfall of the Liberal government. And I'm sure that it had uh, uh, a pretty big part to play in Trudeau uh, losing his majority, but it didn't bring them down. No. uh, Yeah. And I think that, you know, in Canada, Canadians will put up with a lot if it's a liberal prime minister. Well, they'll put up with scandals and corruption and uh, all kinds of stuff like this um, until they just can't take it anymore. Um, But if this was a conservative prime minister, he probably would have had to step down and had someone else put in his place until the election. It's Canadians have very little patience for conservative MP or conservative prime ministers, but they have a lot for liberal prime ministers. Yeah. It's quite the double standard, isn't it? It is. And, and so when we predicted that this was going to take down the government, we were wrong. Sadly we were. And I mean, not that we haven't been wrong before, but this was one of those things I thought was, it's a sure bet. Like surely this will bring the government down. And as we'll discuss a little later on when we talk about the election, there were many other bombshells that I thought would bring the government down and did not. But for SNC-Lavalin, uh, Mr. Trudeau stood up and said in the House of Commons that he will always stand up for Canadian jobs. And this SNC affair was all about jobs and 5,000 Quebec jobs and 9,000 jobs across Canada. Jobs, jobs, jobs. And what I really enjoyed about this was that he kept using the same canned line about I will always stand up for Canadian jobs in the House of Commons. And I think, Lewis, you know where I'm going with this. When Michelle Rempel stood up and asked about $30,000 being spent on Muammar Gaddafi's son for prostitutes and strip clubs, and Mr. Trudeau stood up and said he will always stand up for Canadian jobs. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. That was embarrassing. Uh, to me as a Canadian um, that my, that my prime minister would actually stand up and say that, 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 you know, if it means standing up for, and let's be honest, not Canadian jobs, it's Quebec jobs. If for him, you know, he stands up in the house of commons and says, you know, I'll stand up for Canadian jobs. Basically what he's saying is I'm standing up for Canadian jobs, even if it means breaking the law. And because that's what he did. Exactly. And, and, uh, and that's what SNC-Lavalin did. And, but as we have come to, to know over the past four years, um, and especially this past year, is that he doesn't care about Canadian jobs. He cares about Quebec jobs and, and to a slightly lesser degree, Southern Ontario jobs. But but that's it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and he even said as much in one of his conversations with Jody Wilson-Raybould, who at that time was uh, the uh, Justice Minister, Attorney General. And he even said, oh, I am the MP for Papineau. And apparently the, 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 office, the head office of SNC-Lavalin resides in the Papineau riding, does it not? That's right, yeah. 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 So, I mean, so, you know, in a way, I almost say, okay, he was an MP standing up for a company in its constituency, 
but it goes so much further beyond that to where, you know, no ethical member of parliament would go to the extent of breaking the law and then using the, you know, a very overused, tired line of, oh, I'm just standing up for a constituent or for, in this case, Canadian jobs. And I don't think a lot of Canadians bought that. No, but I think enough did. I mean, I, I saw a lot of comments online. Um, I mean, obviously, online is not the greatest place to, to look for uh, uh, honest uh, discord and, <laughs> and all of that. But I saw a lot of people online posting. He was standing up for jobs, was standing up for jobs. And um, so and that and honestly, I think that's why he didn't why it didn't bring him down in the election. Yeah, well, and, and you're right when you say that there was a, because any, like, and I've said this in the show so many times, I don't put a lot of stake in polls, but what a lot of uh, polling did say was that to Quebecers, it was a jobs issue and just shows that, so I guess the rest of Canada was a little out of step with what Quebecers thought. And really, Mr. Trudeau was trying to appeal to Quebecers with this decision. Well, I'll be honest. I mean, my... Uh... My in-laws are, are Quebecois, and they had no problem with it. Yeah, well, co- corruption just seems to be just part of doing business in Quebec. Like, look at the uh, the construction company fiasco. Oh, the, yeah. yeah, the mob, is, like the mafia or the mob is, is uh, heavily involved in the construction industry in Montreal. And, um, I mean, SNC-Lavalin is, this isn't their only... Uh, uh, transgression. I mean, they, they they've got a long string of transgressions, and and one of them is, I mean, they just lost like a uh, a major lawsuit in Quebec, um, and I believe it was for like two hundred and fifty million dollars, and and it was uh, or more. I, I'm I can't remember the exact number, but. Uh, and it and it's to do with the quality of concrete that was used in uh, in in residential construction that they signed off on and it, and it uh, contained a material that is not supposed to be in concrete. And it, and it actually, when, when it uh, comes into contact with moisture, it swells and it causes the concrete to break. And, um, and if you know Quebec at all, it's a very humid place and they get a lot of snow and, Um, and so all of these houses, their foundations are done. Like they're, they're, they, they've had to, you know, like they, they've, they've, the concrete is, is no good. The foundations is no, are no good. Their, their basement walls are no good. And all these people are on the hook for it. Some people have committed suicide over this because they, it's been a financial ruin for them. Um, and, and SNC Lavalin, uh, was the uh, was the company that was involved in that and just lost that lawsuit? Oh my! So now, uh, so, leaves me on a sidebar, which of course always happens with us. Um, yeah. Would that issue also be why the Jacques Cartier Bridge was falling apart a few years back? Well, that that had to do with uh, with poor concrete quality, yeah, and a lot of that had to do with the um, with with the mob being involved in the construction industry. Um, There's, I don't know if you've ever, 
I can't remember if you've ever been to Quebec. I think you have, but um, many times. Yeah. And I've, I've been out there quite a bit because that's where my in-laws are. And I mean, we've heard, you've seen it. I mean, there's been overpasses and bridges that have collapsed in Quebec. Um, There's, you know, you go out there and any bridge, any intersection with an overpass, uh, all of that, you drive anywhere, go underneath any of these bridges and overpasses in Quebec, and you can see rebar because the concrete is falling away from it. It's breaking Ooh. off. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's horrible. I mean, I, there was a bridge that I, we drove onto. And as we were driving onto it, I, I said to my wife, I said, I said, I can't believe that this bridge hasn't been closed because you can see rebar. Yeah, that's scary. like it's because the the concrete has just it's it's eroded away, and I mean this it's a major major issue in Quebec as we've seen with overpasses collapsing and killing right. people. So, I mean it's yeah it's it's a problem. Yeah, for certainly is. So um, we'll move on from SNC Lavalin and. Yeah since that was one issue that was well that we thought for sure would bring justin trudeau and his government down and the next one i want to talk about that again you and i were were certain it would bring mr trudeau's government down was during the election when the the blackface scandal appeared and and i'm sure the canada you all know about the blackface scandal but just as a quick recap um pictures and videos uh surfaced of justin trudeau in his younger years Went back to like when he was in his late 20s, so I can't even say younger years, but uh, pictures of him and videos of him appearing in full blackface. And in one particular photo, it was a Halloween costume where he was in full blackface dressed as Aladdin at a, at a costume party. And we thought for sure that was going to bring his government down, but yet Canadians seemed to give him a pass on that as well. Yeah, they did. Absolutely. Um, they... Canadians didn't care about the blackface as much as they cared about Andrew Shear being half American. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Isn't that, isn't that sad? And then, and the fact that he was not a fully qualified insurance broker when he claimed he was a, an insurance broker in a past career. Yeah. But they, they cared about that more than they cared about, uh, you know, the blackface. I mean, honestly, I, I'm going to give Justin Trudeau a pass on it. I mean, the blackface to me was not a big deal. Um, mostly because I don't see a big problem with it. Um, it's a costume. So if you're going as somebody who's not of your race, you put makeup on. I, I It's blackface is the problem with blackface is when it's done in a mocking way. Um, it's that whole, uh, you know, back in the days of, uh, you know, when they, they used black shoe polish and, and made their face completely black with uh, bright red lipstick and, uh, and, you know, uh, the white, uh, the white uh, makeup, uh, to, to highlight things. And that, that, that was like out and out blatant racism. Um, 
but the but this so but this blackface incident of Justin Trudeau, it's not the same thing. And I wish people would stop equating it as the same thing. It is not. Um, but people today are super ultra sensitive right. to this kind of stuff. And I really did think that it was going to take them down and it didn't even budge the polls. Yeah, that that's what's sad. I mean, and I, and I will uh, challenge you a bit on the appropriateness. I actually agree with you as far as the Aladdin costume goes that, that, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And he was a, uh, well, he claimed he was a part-time drama teacher. I guess that didn't show up on the school profile, but regardless, I mean, that's a costume. So by all means, go whole hog on it. The problem I had with his blackface was that video that surfaced uh, shortly after the, the photos did where he was not just blackface, but his obviously he had his legs painted as well because he had these ripped jeans on and that weird t-shirt and where he was obviously very, bro, he, he looked like he was high in the video and was completely in blackface there. And that one I thought I really need to know more about the context of it to give him a pass yeah. and, and and I couldn't because like I say he looked like he was higher than a kite and completely body painted in black yeah no I agree with you on that I mean context is everything in my book um, but but the thing that does bother me about this whole thing and like I said even though I don't see the big deal uh, with it uh, the thing I do have a problem with is that it shows his immaturity oh yeah and because because even today he loves costumes like the india trip oh, uh, <laughs> right? the the uh his halloween costumes are ridiculously over the top like he loves dress up yeah and, and in and, fact there was he was even mocked being called prime minister dress up for a while i think that was after the india trip that one kind of died down but. yeah yeah, but it's true. The guy loves to dress up. And to me, that shows a real lack of maturity, especially when you're the prime minister and you still like to dress up. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just there's just something that's that doesn't um, ring true with with me with that kind of stuff. It just it's like you've got to have some decorum and he doesn't. No, you're right. If you're going to be the leader of a, a G7 country, for example, you may want people to take you seriously. And they certainly yeah. won't when you're, uh, you know, dressing more Indian than Indians, as uh, that one reporter put it. Well, I mean, at one point, he and Sophie were wearing traditional wedding costumes. Um, like, it would be as if the the Indian prime minister and his wife came to Canada and wore a tux and a wedding dress. Right. Yeah. Or uh, decided to dress up in the RCMP red surge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when he was meeting, when he went to that meet and greet with Bollywood uh, uh, celebrities, they were all dressed in suits and ties and, and fancy dresses and, uh, Trudeau and Sophie were dressed in uh, the costumes that you would see in a Bollywood movie. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was a little embarrassing. And then when he danced at that conference, it was like a uh, press conference. I was Ooh. like, oh man, this is just, this is too much. This guy's a boy. And, and 
every time I see him in public, and I mean, we saw it at the uh, at the G eight conference too, where where he acted like a little like a child. Yeah, I, when he was when he and uh, um, uh, Princess uh, Anne was it, and. Um, and Boris Johnson and, couple, and... and Boris Johnson, yeah, and and um, Philip Macron, right. when they were when they were all standing around and uh, and and talking like like teenagers, right, uh, about uh, making fun of Donald Trump, and it's like, guys, you guys are in public. You can't do stuff like that. If you want to do that, fine, but do it in private. That's right. Like, but but you do that in public, and there's a camera. You guys are leaders of a G8 country at a G at a G8 conference. There's cameras and microphones everywhere. Well, exactly, yeah. And then they happen to be right close to a hot mic, so they yep, everything they said was uh, recorded for posterity. Yeah, and again, Canadians didn't care. Yeah, and that's because actually- because Canadians hate Donald Trump, so it's okay. Well, and that that seems to be the case, right? And that's uh, I think that's yeah. where we'll we'll segue next into that into uh, decision twenty nineteen, the election where you and I had had hoped. I think I don't think we were convinced, but I think we hoped that that would be the demise of the Trudeau government and that Andrew Scheer would become the next Prime Minister of Canada. Yeah, well, that didn't quite happen. Um, no, and as the and as the election went on the less and less we thought it was going to happen. Right. Um, because Andrew Shear ran a terrible campaign. He did. Um, and, and uh, I mean, it's not to say the liberals ran a great one. I mean, the liberals ran probably the worst campaign I've ever seen. Um, you're, you're right. Because, and, uh... In the, but, I mean, but the but the but the conservatives needed to run a good one, I mean, and the the ones that ran the best one were the NDP, and they got their butts kicked. Yeah, that that is kind of funny because you're absolutely right. Like Jagmeet Singh sort of stumbled out of the gate, but really after the uh, televised debates, and I think the French language debate probably is what the catalyst that got him going. Like he really found his stride, and actually, uh, I would say was the the best campaigner of the three major party leaders from that point to the end of the campaign. But you're right. He, uh, despite people actually taking notice of him, they still didn't take him seriously enough where it translated into seats for him. No. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it, uh, it actually translated into a, uh, uh, less than half of the seats that he had going into the election. Um, the Bloc Québécois, um, made a resurgence and i think a lot of that had to do with um the quebecois lack of losing faith in the liberal party and the only other party they can go to is uh the bloc um the thing with the ndp is that the ndp were pitching to quebecers um you know they were pitching hard on this national pharmacare program, right? Um, making it their central issue for the entire election, and 
But the thing is, is that in Quebec, they already have a pharmacare program. So it, it just didn't go anywhere in Quebec because of that. That makes sense. Um, and, and in the rest of Canada, outside of pockets in BC and Manitoba, and maybe Saskatchewan, I mean, they didn't win any seats, but, um, but there is support for them in those provinces. Right. The, um, the, uh, they, uh, you know, they're just, they're just not really supported anywhere else in the country. The only place really that they've got a lot of support in is Quebec. Yeah, that's true. And um, so as the election, for the, just as a recap, the Liberals did end up winning a minority government, uh, 158 seats, so 12 short of the 170 needed for a majority. And while the Conservatives won the popular vote, they uh, ended up with, I believe it was 121 seats. And what I had said several times, and also I'll repeat it one more time, was that Andrew Scheer took an election that was handed to him on a silver platter, yet he couldn't carry it to the table without dropping it. And yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I was stunned by it at first, and that stunned just turned into disappointment. And... I think even while the campaign was going on, you could already hear the uh, the Laurentian-based, you know, quote-unquote national Canadian media calling for his head and then starting to suggest there was dissension among the ranks of the Conservative Party. And then yeah. a daily barrage right after the, ele- the daily election against Andrew Scheer, asking if he was going to resign, talking about his future, and could Andrew Scheer hold on until eventually he decided to call it quits. Yeah. And I don't blame him. And I was, I was uh, one of the ones calling for his resignation because I said if he could not win this election, an election that was being handed to him, then he will never win. And you're absolutely right in saying that because that's it was definitely handed to him. And as you said a couple minutes ago, he ran an absolutely horrible campaign. When questions came to him about his his Roman Catholic views and social conservative views, as they phrased it, he actually seemed like he wasn't ready for that question. And you think if you learn, which is anything, shocking, yeah, I mean, if you learn anything being a conservative party member, you know that's coming because that's what they always hit you with. They hit you with that. They hit you with healthcare. They hit you with racism. It happens every election. Every single election, they hit you with abortion and. Uh, and gay rights. Exactly. Two, two, by the way, two uh, things that have been completely settled in Canada for decades. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> But they keep bringing it up every single election. Yeah. And he, and he, and it was like, yeah, it was like a deer caught in the headlights. He was. was not expecting it. And I, I'm just blown away by that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how could he not have been expecting it? So, um, so yeah, he decided, and it was early in December, just before parliament actually rose for the Christmas holiday in the second week of December that he announced that he was going to step down as conservative party leader. So the conservative party's policy convention was moved from November in Toronto or no sorry moved from April in Toronto to be moved to November in Quebec City to make way for a conservative leadership convention which will take place now apparently in April um June 
Is it June? Okay, I'm my bad. So June, June I believe, June. believe it's June twenty seventh. Okay. And so the um, the the can the uh, the leadership race, I believe, officially starts in April. Oh, okay. Um, and the uh, and the the convention is at at the end of June. Um, but the uh, and, and we've had. We've heard of uh, heard some names come forward and say that they're running. Um, one of the interesting ones that I've heard is Aaron O'Toole. Uh, he uh, he hasn't officially declared, but he said he's he like I, I've I've seen people in the know say that they have told him that he has told them behind the scenes that he's running. Okay, um, and I like Aaron O'Toole. Uh, I don't know that he is someone that could win an election as leader, but I do find his, and when I, we saw him in the last leadership race and, uh, and I was, I was actually quite impressed with him. Um, but, uh, he's always kind of a, an afterthought for people though. Well, that, and that's how I would consider him too. And, what I thought was a really good move on the part of the Conservative Party is they actually appointed Lisa Raitt to essentially run the leadership process to set the to set the the, the rules and you know sort of oversee how the process goes. It's great. Yeah. But the bad side of that means that she's obviously not going to run. Exactly, and I was just going to say the same thing, but <laughs> um, but I don't think that the party would select her as leader anyway, uh, seeing as she just lost her seat. Well, that's true, yeah. And so another name that came up, and this is one that he, he's certainly been, I don't know if he's, he's been asked the question if, if he's going to run or not, and he said he, he hasn't made up his mind and won't make up his mind till well, I guess now, because he said after Christmas. And you know where I'm going with this one, because he's my choice yeah. if he chooses to run, and that's Pierre Polyev. Yes, and, and as of right now, he's my first choice as well. Um, I did email him and I did get a response and, uh, uh, he said that, uh, no decision has been made as of yet. Um, but he is taking this time over the Christmas break to talk to his family and everything. So, um, it sounds like he's definitely considering it. Well, I think that's good. Like he, uh, as much as I hate to say this, he checks off a lot of boxes I mean, he's a he's from Calgary, but he's a francophone, so he's got a Western connection. He's a francophone. He's now an MP in Ottawa. He's been in cabinet with Stephen Harper. He's a very successful MP who's been reelected many times, and he lives in now lives in Ottawa. He's a MP for Carleton, and so he's got a lot of the the boxes checked off that would make him acceptable to the media and the establishment. But more important, above all of that, he's got great ideas and he's very, very good in the House of Commons. He's excellent in the House of Commons, but he's even better in press conferences. He gives, he, there is nobody in the House of Commons that gives sound bites the way he does. That's very true, yes. And, and he, he's, he's quotable and he's funny. Like, he... I love his his uh, line in the House of Commons where he said Canadians wanted, you know, Canadians wanted more yes 
but instead we got more no. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And I was just like, that is brilliant. I laughed so hard. And, yeah. uh, but he's quotable. He gives great sound bites. He's funny. He's, he's young. He's got great ideas. My only uh, criticism is that um, the media is going to go after him because he's a white male. And uh, he, uh, there was a time when he supported, well, actually, he was quite vocal about having uh, two term limits for all MPs, and he's been elected five times. Right. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Um, so, yeah, they'll certainly go after him for that. But one thing I got to say also on a positive for Pierre Polyev is uh, he's very personable. I, I got the chance to meet him here in Saskatoon because he came to speak at a, a fundraiser I was attending. And that's actually when I found out he was from Calgary originally. And seeing as I grew up in the Edmonton area, I ribbed him a little bit and we actually went back and forth, you know, in good fun. And he was just was a very, very down home, easy to like kind of a guy. And like speaking of the of, of quotable lines, he, he opened his speech by saying that uh, MP Kelly Block asked me my thoughts on free speech, and I said I'm all for it. So she said, "Good. How would you like to deliver one?" And so that was why he went on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's very likable, and I, I mean, obviously, the national media will hate him just because he's a conservative. But I mean, anybody who is able to go to an event where he's at. Uh, it's very easy to like him. So, I mean, it's, I think it'd be very yeah. easy for people to support him if they go and actually listen to him speak. Yeah. And I, I, I would, and I think the other contender, possible contenders, uh, such as Rana Ambrose, and uh, I don't know if Candace Bergen is, is considering it, but I would be, I would like to, see, what's that? I've heard her name come up. Yeah. Yeah, I I really like her. I like her a lot. She's very smart, very well spoken. Um, the only downside I is I don't know how good her French is. Uh, same thing with Rana Ambrose. Her French is not great. It does need improvement. Um, I just don't. I, unfortunately, I think if she runs, it could be a slam dunk win for her uh, just because she has been the interim leader before. And she did do a really good job while as the interim leader, Um, but yeah. And she's well liked, but uh, I don't know that she is as interested in running as everybody as ever, as, as much as everybody else is interested in her running. Right. I think that's actually a very good way to put it because I, I think she, uh, when she retired from politics, she did go and help out with the negotiating committee for the USMCA trade deal. And yeah. I think that that was kind of intended to be her swan song. So I, so you're right. Yeah. I don't know if she's as interested as a lot of people are interested in her. Yeah. Although it does sound like there's people like, like the liberals are actually worried if she wins, like if she runs and wins, it sounds like they're very worried, and they're and it sounds like uh, Justin Trudeau is is preparing to offer her, or already has offered her, uh, an ambassadorship to the U.S. Oh, well, that would be one way to keep her from running for Conservative Party leadership, wouldn't it? Exactly. So, <laughs> and to me, that sounds like 
he'd be running scared if she won. So, um, let's see. We, I have, I've got, unfortunately, I've only got five minutes here, but, um, so maybe we should just quickly touch on a couple of things that are happening right now. Um, the U S killed, uh, the head of the Iranian military, which is also, but he, he headed up their, their foreign, uh, I don't know how you would put it. He, he headed up the division uh, that looked after foreign um, uh, issues. So in, in terms of, you know, being a terrorist. Yeah, it was the, and, the, was the group he ran. So. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they carry out terrorist activities around the world and, um, and are the number one funders and... Um, uh, purveyors of terrorism in the world. Yeah. So Trump had him killed, rightly so. Um, and everybody has gone ballistic thinking that we're heading to World War Three, and uh, that we're all going to die. Canada's got to get our let guys me, out of there right now because they're vulnerable. Let me reassure you people. <laughs> Sorry, you people. Um <laughs> That is, that is not going to happen. Iran knows as, as well as anybody that if they go to war with the U.S., it is not going to end well for them. Exactly. So uh, rest assured, there is no World War III on the horizon. No, and Iran is broke. I mean, the sanctions are actually working. The economic sanctions against Iran are working, and they could not afford to go to war even if, that was their desire. Yeah, despite despite Obama giving them uh, one and a half billion dollars, one hundred and fifty billion dollars. Well, there you go. Well, I was wrong. One hundred and fifty billion dollars. I don't know where I got the one point five. Well, I do. One hundred and fifty. One point five. Okay. Yeah. I see it. I screwed up. I moved the decimal point. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah. But uh, he gave them $150 billion and told them, oh, yeah, you guys can have uh, nuclear reactors again, but you're limited to this number of them. Um, and no enrichment. And yeah. Yeah. Which we all know they weren't following anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So really nothing's changed. No. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm sure you're going to see some retaliation in terms of some terrorist activity in the Middle East. Um but it's not gonna. I mean, chances are it's not gonna reach our shores because if it does, uh, the U.S. is gonna hit them full force, and they don't want that as much as anybody. Yeah, I would. Agree. I agree with that. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, there's gonna be some saber rattling going on, but I really think that uh, it was a good move on Mr. Trump's part. I'm all for it. Yeah, and um, for the last thing I've got to say um, is. If you missed Ricky Gervais's opening monologue to the Golden Globe Awards last night, do yourself a favor and go to YouTube and watch it. It is the funniest uh, and best monologue I've ever seen at an awards show. He really hammers the Hollywood elite hard on their um, fake 
um, activism and everything. And it is fantastic. Well, I heard some so I haven't really, actually seen the whole thing, so I guess I'll have to YouTube uh, that. It's great. It's great. He tells them to, you know, if you win, come up here, pick up your little award, thank your God and thank your agent, and then get the, and then F off. <laughs> and he said that. <laughs> he said, nobody wants to hear your, uh, your opinions on politics or, or anything like that, because, you know, you don't know anything. You are in no position to lecture anybody. You don't know what real life is like. Wow. And, and then, and then proceeded to say, I mean, many of you have spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. Ooh. (laughs) And, and it was funny because everybody laughed and everybody cheered and then people followed that by going up, accepting their awards, and giving political speeches. Oh, of course. He did, he did exactly what he told them not to do. <laughs> and it just showed how stupid and irrelevant Hollywood is. Right. Well, now I'm going to have to YouTube that after we uh, finish recording. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So it was great talking to you once again. You as well. And um Good show. I'm going to uh, thank everybody in Canada who's able to listen to this show. I'm not sure how many that we'll get out to, but we'll uh, we'll try this new podcast platform and see how it goes. And most importantly, thank you, Canada. And we'll talk to you soon again on Canadian Common Sense. Good night.